Hey, this morning I want to share uh, from God's Word about two things. Um, I want to share my story. I want to share just how God has directed my steps to be here today, how he's been with me and guiding me and directing me all these years. Uh, and then I want to share a little bit at the end just about where God is taking us as a church. Um, I'm assuming you vote yes today, I guess. Um, but that's the two things I want to share. So uh, my story, some of you know it, some of you don't. Um, but my story was definitely not master planned uh, by me. It wasn't... Uh, this is not really where I envisioned myself 15 years ago, uh, but God's been guiding my steps all through these years. Uh, and there's been seasons where I was obedient to him and, you know, going right where he wanted me to go. And there were times where I wasn't. Uh, and there were big decisions. But to be honest, most of my life was made up of a lot of small obediences, a lot of small uh, little steps. And sometimes it was intentional. But most of the time, it was God taking my foot and moving it somewhere else, and moving it somewhere else. Um, John Piper says it this way. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And the parts we do see may not make any sense to us. I think that's been true in my life, that God's been doing a lot and I was aware of a little bit, but the reality was God had a plan and a purpose bigger um, than me. God's the one writing the story. He's writing your story. He's writing my story. And uh, to say that I've master planned this is <laughs> far from the truth. I want to read from 2 Corinthians 5 today, um, starting in verse 14. And these verses uh, radically changed my life when I was 23 years old. Um, I had a course and a path and a direction, and these verses one night in Midland, Texas, uh, radically changed my life when I really understood them, when I really grasped it. And so here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I read these verses, uh, who knows how many times in my life, but as, at 23 they sunk in. At 23 they, they hit me like a ton of bricks and they radically changed my heart and the direction of my life. Like, like a lot of 23 year olds, I was trying to figure out what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm free, I've got this degree, I've got this plans, and what do I do with my life? 
And I, and I was wrestling with, do I continue down this road of engineering or do I, uh, I don't know. And when I really understood these verses, like Paul says in verse 14, that the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When I really understood that, I knew I could not live my life for myself any longer. I knew I couldn't. I had concluded the same thing. If God's love was real, if Jesus really did die to save me, a sinner, and had given up all of that, and it says that he died, that those who live no longer live for themselves, but they live for him, I knew in that moment at 23 that I couldn't live for myself any longer. Because what he had created me for was the rest of that, was for purpose. He'd given us the ministry of reconciliation, to, to be ambassadors for Christ. There was, there was so much purpose that was here that I didn't see in my own life at 23, just going to work every day at Chevron. I wanted this. This was big. This was purpose. This was meaningful. And God took the old and he passed it away and he made a new Byron and he put a new heart within me and he gave me a purpose that was much bigger than myself. I want to tell you uh, some more of my story. Uh, so I was um, blessed to be raised in the family that I was. Um, my dad has been a pastor my entire life. And uh, I, many of you have asked me this question. I've heard this question my whole life. Do you want to be a preacher when you grow up? And emphatically, I said, no, that's not what I want to do. I had no intentions of ever being in here. But we lived in Seymour, Texas, and Dad pastored Calvary Baptist Church until I was in kindergarten, uh, about 1993. And I was saved uh, as a kid in Seymour after hearing my dad preach. And as best as, as a six-year-old could understand, uh, I knew that Jesus had died on the cross, I knew I was a sinner, and I heard that he could save me. And uh, a few weeks ago, my dad gave me this recording we're about to play, and uh, he made a tape that night of little six-year-old Byron, and so this is just for cute factor, but uh, anyway. This, this is, is April 16th, it's Saturday evening, and we're making a special tape tonight uh, for Byron <laughs> Andrew Smith. Why don't you tell what you did tonight. I told my mom that I prayed to prove that my dad did last Easter Sunday. What was that prayer about, Byron? Asking Jesus in your heart. Because Jesus loves us very much, he died on the cross and to take the punishment for all our sins. When he takes away our sins, we can be close to God again. Dear Jesus, thank you for showing us how much you love us. Please forgive me for all my the wrong things I have done. Please be my very best friend. In your name, amen. Alright, so as much as a six-year-old little Byron could understand, I had no robust theology. I had no 
views on the, uh, the end times or anything, but I knew that Jesus loved me, and I knew that I was separated from God, and I heard that he could save me, and that, as a six-year-old, I placed my faith in him. Uh, we moved to post-Texas about uh, 93, shortly after I was saved, and dad was the pastor of First Baptist Church, and I was raised in a Christian school there, uh, and then five or six years later, we moved here to Huntington, Texas, when I was in fifth grade. That was about 1999, and I actually found a picture the other day of me uh, in fifth grade. Here I am out in front of the children's wing over there. I think this was the weekend that my dad came in view of a call here at this church, and so some of you were here and remember that goofy, uh, sneakered little boy. Uh, I'm holding a disposable camera in my hand, but fifth grade we moved here, and when we moved here, uh, and I got to be a part of the youth group here, um, under the leadership of Steve Bishop, and Steve was an amazing youth pastor. Uh, Steve taught me the Bible, but really more than anything, Steve taught me what it was to be passionate about God, what it was to really live out your faith. Steve was real, and um, I loved that time. Uh, as far as school goes, I did well in school, but probably like most 17-year-olds, 17 17 year I really had zero career aspirations. Uh, I know we'd probably taken classes in school about it, uh, but I had no plan, um, and I remember, this is the honest truth, you, I don't know if my dad would remember this, but I remember sitting in the living room one night as a 17-year-old, and dad looking at me and saying, you have to decide what you're going to do with your life, and within 10 minutes, we had done that, okay? Maybe five. It wasn't very long, and that's the honest truth. Uh, my papa, Ray Smith, was a petroleum engineer. And I was, dad said, hey, you're good at math and science, you should do that. And I heard petroleum engineers made a lot of money, and I said, count me in. That's it, right? And, I, and we'd laugh, but that's one of those little steps that God's in control of that I didn't, I didn't master plan this, but God took my foot and he placed it that direction. Uh, that's one of those <laughs> major life decisions that I made in about this much time. I don't suggest that this morning. Um, but I graduated from Huntington High School. Here, here's the picture of the long hair, and some of you remember that, Byron. But I went to Texas A&M University, and that, that too, to be honest, sorry, Aggie's in the room. I'm, hurt, I'm hurting myself. I wanted to go to OU. I wanted to go be there and do what my papa had done, but again, that was God taking my step and going, no, not there, over here. Hey, no, over here. Keep going this way. But I went to A&M, and Aggieland was an incredible growth season for me as a person, as a Christ follower. Um, yeah, because of petroleum engineering, learning about all that, and being pushed academically, but more it was about the people I met. Um, and here's a picture of two of those people. These are my roommates in college, goofy little dudes, Mark Zobeck and Nick Langford. Uh, but it was men like these uh, who during that season of life, challenged me and grew me and pushed me in more ways than I could have ever imagined. Aguiland was full of rich Christian community, men and women who loved God and pushed me to love God. And, and, and for them, there was nothing, there was nothing fake. I, I think being a preacher's kid, I had that built into me that you've got you to have on the outside the, the little facade, right? But for these guys, there was nothing fake. It was real. It was honest. There was nothing hypocritical. They were just real about their failures and about their strengths, right? About their faith. And it was men like these and Josh Weaver and Tyler Kelly and Austin Johnson and so many more that I could point to 
And it was men like these who helped grow me in my relationship. And they end up in my wedding in, in 2015. But they challenged me and they grew me so much more than any time of my life. And so in 2010, I graduated from Texas A&M, and I had done well, and I got a, a job offer to go work for Chevron in Midland, Texas. Chevron's, yeah, Midland, Texas, not so much. Uh, and I went to work for them as a production engineer uh, out in West Texas. And so in August of 2010, I moved all alone out to Midland, Texas, a glorious little place. Uh, to work for Chevron and chase the American dream. All I know is, all I knew at the time was, go be successful, go live it, go big. And uh, at that time, petroleum engineers, we were being paid six figures right out of college. It's a lot of money to give a 22-year-old uh, who doesn't know a lot about money. Um, but that's me in 2010, 2011, and 2012 in Midland. And my time in Midland can aptly be described as a desert. And if you've been there, you understand. There's nothing to look at. Uh, there's nothing there but oil and gas. But for me, it was a desert spiritually, too. It was dry. It was lonely. It was difficult. Uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't the rich Christian community that Aggieland, all these people like me. It was very different. It was very hard. And uh, just a quick side note. God grew me way more in the desert than he ever did in the promised land, right? And so if you're in that hard season today, if you're, maybe Huntington, Texas is a desert for you. Maybe your job currently is a desert for you. God grew me more in that desert than he ever did in the promised land. But I got plugged into a great church when I was there called Stonegate Fellowship. And uh, the worst decision in my life uh, was next, probably not the worst. I don't mean that. I've made way worse decisions than this. Uh, but they offered this class. It was called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And it's basically a class on missions. And so I signed up to go to this class one night a week. It was like a, at, at Midland College. And uh, by the end of that semester, God had radically changed my heart. God had totally flopped me from pursuing the American dream, climb the ladder, get on top to wow, there's a much bigger story going on here. Wow, God, God, there's so much more going than just Chevron and West Texas. And by the end of that semester, I knew that I could not give my life to Chevron. I knew it. We're all giving our life away to something. You're all giving your life away to something, a job, a, a family, a person, or whatever. We're all giving it away for something. And I knew at the end of that time that climbing the ladder, chasing the promotion, working for the raise, being a big deal, it, it didn't matter. I tasted it, I achieved it, and I can honestly say it was bitter. It was empty. It didn't satisfy. It didn't really fix the missing part of what was inside of me. It didn't compare in, 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 in the grand scheme of history to all that God was up to in the world. And so I wrestled, what do I do with my life? And on April 29th, 2011, I was just about to turn 23, and I'm sitting in Midland, Texas. This is how lonely I was, at a Slotsky's by myself one night, eat dinner. And I would hang out at Slotsky's because they had free Wi-Fi and a comfy chair. And I would eat dinner after work, and then I was, I was reading my Bible, and I had my journal out. And I came to these verses in 2 Corinthians 5. And I read that the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And I had read those verses before, but I knew I couldn't. I, I knew that they meant so much more at this point. That night, April 29, 2011, they became real, and I knew that I couldn't live my life for myself anymore. I wrote this that night in my journal. Tonight, that verse becomes the banner over my life. Because of what Jesus did and is doing in my life, I have no other choice but to live for him. His love controls, or your verse may say compels. His love controls me, not to duty, but to obediently follow him wherever he leads me. Honestly, I go from scared to death to absolutely peaceful about it. And I've worked out the details in my head a thousand times, but it's a futile attempt because already God is shifting. The only answer is to stick as close to him as I can. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I couldn't live my life for me anymore. And it took a long time. It took a lot of wrestling, a lot of conversations with my, with my family, with friends, and with my church to try to figure out what do I do next. And I knew that if I wanted to do this the rest of my life, and that's what I felt like God was calling me to, like I knew I needed to be trained. If I'm really going to teach people the Bible or try to help people understand God, I need to understand him, and I need to really grasp it. And so I decided I was going to go to seminary. And I remember the day I walked into my boss's office in, uh, in Midland, Texas, and it was like the annual review day. And I walked in, and you know, he's like, great job, or whatever he said. And I uh, said, hey, today's going to be my, or I'm leaving in August. I'm done. Okay, what company? Well, who can match it? No, I'm going to seminary. You ever heard of it? <laughs> he wasn't a Christian. He had no concept. My boss did not understand. Uh, my friends at Chevron, they definitely didn't understand. Um, my friends at church in Midland didn't really understand my friends from college and high school, they probably didn't understand, and I think some of my family maybe still doesn't understand, <laughs> but I think there was a lot of this. Why, why would you walk away from that? Why would you leave such a lucrative career? Why, why would you leave such success? You're good at this. You're, you're doing well. Like, you, you can be a missionary at Chevron. You can, you can go overseas, and you can make a lot of money. Out of, all these things. You're smart. You're gifted. You should do this. But for me, what I knew and what I had concluded was the same thing that Paul concluded. That I couldn't live for myself. If Jesus really had died for me and given up his life for me, then I should live my life for him. I knew that whatever the cost was, whatever the hit to my bank account was, and I just try not to think about that, so please don't bring it up. Uh, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because what I saw ahead and what I saw Jesus doing in the whole world was worth whatever the cost might have been. And so in August 2012, I said goodbye to Midland. I uh, said goodbye to Stonegate. I said goodbye to Chevron and the Dollar Hyde Field that I worked in. And I packed up my, my cheap little Honda Civic that I had bought and the U-Haul. And I headed to Louisville, Kentucky to go to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I spent a year on campus just going 90 to nothing because I had that dirty oil money and I just could just do that. So I studied really hard for a year. And, and at that point in life, what I felt like God was calling me to was to go overseas as a missionary. And I had been on the one-week trip. I had been on the, the two-week kind of deal. And, 
you know, you get, the, you get the high, and you get the adrenaline rush, and you paint the building, and you help the orphan, and all that stuff. And I, but I knew that, that living on the mission field and being there long term was way different than the one-week trip. And so I knew I wanted to experience it for real. And so I signed up to go for a semester, and I spent a semester working with the IMB. I went in 2013. I went to Spain in uh, Sevilla uh, in Spain and worked with a missionary team there. And then the next semester, spent a semester in Manchester, England. And you may not think of Spain and England as places missionaries need to go, but it's like 98% lost, right? And those semesters were incredible, and they were hard. It was not <laughs> what I thought it was, right? It's very difficult. And I think what I realized, and just to be fully honest with you, is what God has made me for was probably not to be a missionary, and it took spending a year on the mission field to realize that. It takes a certain skill set. It takes certain uh, personality traits. And I'm looking at my life and my temperament and all those things. And what I'm realizing is I'm not good at talking to strangers. I'm not good at learning other languages. I'm not good at da-da-da-da-da, right? And I'm going, is this really what is right for me? But I'm also looking at my life and I'm realizing at that point what I really love and when I really come alive is when I get to teach God's word, is when I get to help care for other people in, in their spiritual walk, when I get to disciple. And I'm looking at it going, where do I fit in God's picture and what he's doing in the world? And I realized that probably what I was more suited to was being a pastor. But this is complicated because I've told everybody I'm going to be a missionary, right? Everybody's written me off. Never going to see him again. And now I've got to come home and say, oh, sorry, change of plans. I didn't really know what to do with my life. And it was during that season in Manchester that I met a sweet little girl. Her name was Madison Thomas at the time. And uh, I know, sorry. <laughs> she was at A&M. She was at college. And we struck up a friendship. And we started talking at first Every week, I thought we were more than we were. She thought we were less than we were. Uh, it's okay. We're married. Got the ring, three babies. We're good. Um, we started a friendship. And by the end of that semester, I was homesick. I wanted to come back to Texas. I wanted to try to marry this girl or date her at least. Give it a shot. And so I decided at the end of my time in Manchester, I'm going to move back to, to Huntington, to Texas, and I'm going to finish seminary online, and I'm going to try to date this girl. Uh, love will make you do crazy things. Again, that's God, right? taking my foot, placing it somewhere different. Maybe I had this plan, I had this direction, but he says, no, over here. Right? And during that season of dating and then eventually engagement and marriage in 2015, I think we got a picture of that as well. Uh, I was living at home with my parents. <laughs> you, you talk about going from Chevron, six figures, corner office. So now I'm living with my parents in the spare bedroom, hanging out with my parents every night, eating dinner. And uh, David Box, I was working for David Box, running parts, dropping off, running errands. I'm working at the school for Shane putting out iPads and all sorts of stuff, and then in a classroom as a sub. And I'll be honest, at that point of life, it was real easy to go, God, where are you? Well, what's going on here, right? It's not Chevron, it's not six figures. This isn't highly successful to be coming back and living with your parents. 
But God was guiding my steps, and he was orchestrating something so much more. And I finished seminary in 2015, uh, but in the early spring of 2015, Chris Quinto came to me. He was our former youth pastor before me, and uh, him and Courtney were going to be moving on to Houston to go um, church plant. And so he came and he just asked if I would want to preach sometimes in the youth, uh, just to fill in while he was going to be out in that season. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like, I was in that youth group. I grew up in that room, and that would be fun. It'd be cool to give back, you know, and, and kind of fill in some of this downtime that I have while I try to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And the more I sat there and thought about it, I thought, I need a job. I, I, like, this is a job. This is something I love. This is something the church needs, and I could do this. I love youth, and I want to, and the more I thought about it, uh, I thought, I should do this. And I remember the day I told my dad in the living room, um, his jaw nearly hit the floor. I told him, hey, I want to apply for the job. And, I, and my dad at that point of life had resigned. He's going to be a missionary, and I'm going to see him once every three years. And so the, to think, oh, hey, you want to work at church with me? Working with family is complicated. It's not easy. Um, but through time, through a lot of conversations, that's what God ordained, and that's what worked out. And so for six years, Maddie and I, since 2015 to 2011, we loved middle schoolers and high schoolers, and we were involved in their lives, and we taught them God's word, and we fed them chocolate chip cookies, and we did whatever it took to invest our lives in God's word into those kids, whatever kids came through the door. And now those kids are in college and married and having kids and they're our friends and there's still fruit that comes from those years. Those years were some of the best years. They'll always be some of the best years of our life. They weren't always easy. There were many times Maddie and I sat down at the table or in our room and said, this is hard. Let's go do something else. Right? There were times it probably would have been better to go do something else. Um, but what I could sense deep down that didn't make any sense in rational terms was that we needed to plant roots and we needed to stay put no matter what. That God was calling us here and it didn't always make sense. It didn't always feel good. And at that point, there was no path to senior pastor. There was no advancement, right? I was going to be working for my dad in my hometown, right? There was no whatever. But we knew that it was worth pushing through the hard, planting roots, and investing here. And I'm so, so thankful that we did. I have loved getting to preach and teach and strategize and help pastor this church for the last seven years. It's been an incredible joy of my life. And I'm thrilled at the opportunity to get to continue to lead uh, this church with other godly men and women. Um, Maddie and I have never viewed this place as a stepping stone. Uh, we've never viewed it as a as a path to get somewhere else. We want to be here. We, we've wanted to be here. We want to plant our lives. We have planted our lives here. We want to plant our family here. I want to pastor here for as long as you'll have me. I want to see God's word grow God's church. I want to see us reach Huntington, Texas with the gospel. I'm not trying to go somewhere else. I want to be here and preach and teach God's word and help grow God's church with God's word. I wrote a blank check with my life a long time ago, and it's God that's directing my steps, and I'm thankful that he's brought my steps here. 
And so about a year ago, as my dad's talking about retiring and stepping away, I knew that I wanted the chance to get to do this. I knew it would probably be a little bit complicated. I knew that it might not be easy. It may not be what the church wants. That was always a possibility and still is. But I knew I wanted to put my name in the hat. And so at the beginning of the summer, I talked to Shane. And uh, it's been a full summer of waiting and hoping and thinking and praying and talking and interviewing. And just to be honest, if, if, if they probably took it harder on me because of who I am, right? They didn't assume anything. They asked me a lot of questions and wanted to know everything. But God has opened the door for, for me and for us to be here at this moment, at this time. And I fully believe that it's God who's directed my steps here. And so let me speak to, just for a minute um, to talk about where God's taking us as a church and what, where we're going. Uh, I've, I've had that asked of me a lot. You know, what's your vision for the church? Where do you see this going? Where do you want to take this? And, and today what I'm here to tell you is this. I am no future fortune teller. I can't predict the future. I'm not a prophet. I don't have special insight into here's where God is taking us. What I do have is God's word. And God cares more about the vision for his church than I ever have. And God has a plan that's bigger than any plan that I could dream up. And so what I want us to do is quickly just look at one piece of this in Ephesians chapter 4 for what God has planned for his church and what God has planned uh, for a pastor. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up and love. And there's a lot here. I just want to point out three truths from this. First, I mean, God has given leaders of all kinds to the church, including pastors. God has given leaders of all kinds to the church, including pastors. He says it right up front. He gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. When he says shepherds, same word for pastor. And, and there's so many more, right? And my role as a pastor will be to shepherd and to teach. Right? Shepherd means to take care of the sheep, to, to lead and to guide and to provide and to offer counsel and all those sorts of things, to shepherd. That's what God has called me to do, and primarily that happens by teaching. They're, they're, they're connected to shepherd and teach. That ultimately it's not my wisdom, it's not my ingenuity, it's not my smarts or anything that's going to do anything in this church. What's going to build God's church is God's word, right? And so my primary job is to teach God's word, to apply God's word to our lives. That's how the pastor shepherds. And it says this, that the, the main, the second truth is this. First, God has given leaders of all kinds, including pastors. The second truth is that the main work of the pastor is to equip the saints for the work 
of ministry. The main work of the pastor is to equip. See, I'm not the one in ministry. That's how we use the phrase. We say, oh, he's in the ministry. But what God says is that it's the saints, it's the body, it's the members that are in ministry. And it's the pastor's work to equip them for the work of ministry. And so what I want to see is what God wants to see. And what God wants to see is more and more members in ministry. See, more and more of you and us together reaching our neighbors with the gospel. Being creative with how we connect with those that are outside the church. And using our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our time to reach the lost here. That's why we exist. My job is to help equip you to do that. I'm not the one in ministry. You are. And my job is to help equip you for that. There are almost 10,000 people that call Huntington, Texas home, school district, zip code. And maybe there's 10% of them in church today. Is there 1,000 in church today? We've got a lot of work to do, right? And if it's dependent on me and my smarts and my abilities and my ingenuity, we're lost. <laughs> we're going to fail. But if we're dependent on God's word and we're dependent on the members doing the work of ministry, then God's vision will be achieved, right? Third truth that he lays out in Ephesians 4, the goal of the pastor's work is unity, maturity, and sound doctrine. Doctrine means beliefs, what we believe. So my aim in equipping is that we would become unified, that we would become mature, and that we would become sound in our belief, right? Think about a church that doesn't have a good pastor. They don't become unified. What do they become? Divided, right? A church without a good pastor, without a faithful shepherd, is, they don't become more mature. What do they stay? Immature, Right? And, and as he lays out here, a church without faithful leaders that are teaching God's word and, and, and equipping the people with the word, they're, they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They don't have sound belief. They go after whatever the world says. They go after over here and chase all sorts of things blown about by the wind. And so the aim of my work will be to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body in maturity and in sound doctrine. It's a long-term project. It's not short-term. It's not, it's really not that exciting. But it is what God's vision is for the church. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be as your next senior pastor. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning, God. And I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for the sufficiency of it, God. I thank you for how it speaks to our life, God, how it directs our steps, God, I thank you um, for your grace in my life and how you have directed my steps through so many seasons, God. And I thank you for where you brought me and where you brought our church. God, and I pray today and I pray along with my brothers and sisters that if it's your will, that this is what the church would decide. God, God I want to I see your word build your church here. I want to see our church reach Huntington, Texas with the gospel into the ends of the earth, God. God, I want to see members and, and people unleashed into ministry, God. God, I pray that 
you would order our steps, God, and you would direct our steps. God, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. We thank you for this morning. And we pray all this in your son's name.